When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Dave Hendon. And I'm Michael McMullen. Welcome to episode 151 of the Snooker Team podcast. Uh, it's an early drop, whatever that means. This week, we're a bit earlier than normal because it's the start of the, of the Betfred World Championship qualifiers. Uh, the month of the World Championship getting underway. And we're going to, this week, make wild predictions about who's going to qualify. I looked back last year, I got five of them right out of 16. Mm. Now, now that doesn't sound great, but actually I was quite happy with it. Be, uh, I, got, I got a couple. I think you got Ashley Carty, didn't you, last year? I did, yeah. yeah that was inspired. I, I got Ursenbacker, I think. But Yeah, um, that was the big one for you, yeah. yeah. The key thing, and we'll come on to this shortly, but the key thing, I think, it's, it's four rounds. Not everyone has to play four rounds, but there's four rounds. First three are best of 11, last one best of 19. Now, of course, previously, before last year and the pandemic and everything, they're all best of 19. Mm. We'll talk about we'll talk about this in due course, but that third round I think is the big one because that's when the sort of the top seeds, as it were, come in. But it's still best of eleven, and there was a few matches last year that may have turned round potentially had it been best of nineteen, had they come back for a second session. But obviously they didn't. Um, you fancy those guys in the best of nineteens, but that best of eleven round I think could catch a few people out. Anyway, we'll come on to that shortly. Um, very briefly, reflections on Championship League. You did the pool. I did the snooker. Mm. Mm. Uh, how, how was your... That's your first time at Milton Keynes, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, even, as you know as well as anyone, most of the tournaments at Milton Keynes, a lot of the commentary has been done off-site anyway. So, I mean, no one's been there very much. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the big concern for me was MK Dons playing Doncaster on Saturday afternoon. And I thought, this would be amazing if I actually got to see some live football in this season that nobody can... And there was talk of curtains being closed and mm. stewards blocking the windows, but I actually got to see a bit of it in the end. But, I mean, the pool uh, was seen as a massive success. It was shown all over the world. I understand the ratings for us across all platforms. You see, you talk about early drops. I'm talking about across all <laughs> platforms. What you know what uh, that means. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, apparently, we're fantastic. So, uh, hopefully, that's going to be the start of, of that being a, uh, a long-running event. And, again, like the snooker, it was on free sports. So, I think... Um, Someone said to me, in Ireland, it's eight ball, much more than nine ball. Nobody really plays nine ball in Ireland. And some people here were saying to me, could they not show eight ball? Would that not be better? But I think anyone who's watched them both would know nine ball works a lot better on TV. I think eight ball can get extremely tactical. And it's probably too many balls in too small an area. So I think nine ball is probably the future of it. And it seems that, you know, pool is, is building up quite a following. Um, I think in the UK, it's probably quite not a particularly big following, but very, very loyal. But I think this time they actually picked up a few sort of casual viewers. 
I think it helped that there were some early finishes on the snooker that was going on the same week in the mm. Tour Championship that people then maybe turned over because we certainly didn't have many early finishes in the pool because we were trying to fit so, so many matches in. We had, we had a 1 a.m. finish one night. And also, I think the big issue is people who might turn on the television um, and see pool, they might be Q sports enthusiasts, i.e. they like snooker, but they're not familiar with the players. Now, this was the ideal way for them to get familiar with them because you were maybe seeing them playing a lot of matches over a number of days. Albin Ocean, who won it, actually played 52 matches in the course of it. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever even played that Championship League snooker, which is effectively the same format. So it was regarded, I think, as a very big success, and it's the start of a very big year of nine-ball pool. There are six live televised events, of which that was the first. Well, you see, this is where, where, when people talk about, you know, the rise of streaming, and clearly it's incredibly popular, one thing that television still has in its favour is people flick channels. Exactly. And you, and you can come across something like that. People, as you say, like going down the sports channels, may have thought, oh, I'll, I'll watch this for a while, maybe watched it all week. Um, Corin Wilson won the Championship League snooker, demonstrated real determination. He was behind 2-0 in all of his last three matches and, you know, beat great players. I mean, Mark Williams in the final, John Higgins in the semis. Um, also broke the record for most centuries in a single mm. tournament. I was, I was glad he did that because every time I saw him, I mentioned it. The <laughs> first time I saw him, he was practising. I said, oh, you only, need, you only need four centuries. Now, it's easy for me to say that, of course. I'm not going to make them. Um, he'd made one going into the, the semis and finals, so it looked unlikely, but he made three, three big breaks, actually. Um, Terrific for, for him. He's in the Champion of Champions. Of course, has won both Championship Leagues this season, which, you know, is quite an achievement, actually, because they're short matches. Um, may, maybe you think it wouldn't necessarily suit him uh, as such. We'll talk next week about the, the, the Crucible. But, um, no, I was very pleased for him. You know, he's a proper player. He, yeah. he, work, he works so hard, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I actually think, in a way, I'm not surprised he's prospered in it because in the early years of Championship League snooker, let's face it, most of the players didn't take it that seriously at all. I mean, they were playing the game in a totally different way. That's really changed. And I, I would actually cite him as the prime example of that. I've actually seen him at the end of matches in the Championship League snooker where he's really angry with himself and, you know, because he's not performed. So he, he would he seems to approach it much the same as he approaches any other tournament. But I, I'm, I'm such a huge fan of him in every sense. I think he's just getting, after he won the Shanghai Masters, he didn't really actually improve that much over the next 18 months or so. But after that, the last kind of three years, I think he's been getting gradually better every season. And I think now he's a better player than he's ever been. I thought some of his performances in the Championship League really underline just what a, a consistently good player he's actually become now. And I'm a big fan of him as a person as well. I think I described him on here in the past as a sort of old school gentleman. And he really does have that air about me. So polite and well-mannered and, you know, just uh, very unassuming. And really now... You know, I, I don't think anyone can not have him on their list of, you know, the, the leading contenders to win the world championship. And, and just briefly on that point, I was thinking back after we did the one with Phil. So the three of us have now all named our three for the world championship. And correct me if I'm wrong, but interestingly, I don't think any of us named the defending champion. Uh, I did. Oh, did you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> OK, scrap all that. Then. Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, anyway, did we'll come We'll come so on to that next. We did that. Yeah. yeah, we'll come on to that next week. Um, just finally on the Championship League, thanks to Matchroom, um, they're always a good crew there. You know, they do anything for you. They work unbelievable long hours. It's just part of the ethos. You know, you you, you work hard, but you enjoy yourself as well. Um, it's the same people. Yeah. Working on mostly certainly the Matchroom people behind the scenes. It was the same people doing the pool and the snooker. So I mean, it was pretty much two weeks there. Yeah. Uh, non-stop in a hotel. I mean, and, and the thing is as well, you know, 
if you're commentating, playing, whatever, you get a bit of a break during the day. But they're constantly on from yeah. first first ball to last every day. Uh, and I think the fact they have a very, very good team spirit between them, Emily and Nick and Matt and Jake, uh, you know, really helps them get through that. I think, you know, if, if you didn't get on with the people that you were working with for that amount of time, it might be a struggle. So, uh, yeah, hats off there. Yeah, without sort of um, trying to divide and rule, um, mm. it's just a slightly, it's the same organisation, there's just a slightly different ethos between Matchroom and World Snooker. Anyway, I won't get I won't get into that now. I will we'll maybe uh, address that when things are quieter because, of course, the World Championship is getting underway. It's going to be a month-long event, basically, now. Uh, 10 days of qualifying, 17 days at the Crucible, of course, in between the first-round draw. Then there's a sort of Crucible Eve day on Friday. And then it all starts on the 17th. But the qualifiers in their own right are very, very interesting, not just to see who's going to qualify, but of course, some people are playing to stay on the on the tour to keep their professional cards. There's going to be all sorts of heartbreak and all sorts of joy as well. 128 players in the qualifiers, obviously 16 qualified to join the top 16. We're going to do what we did last year um, and trying to try to wildly predict who's going to qualify from each section. So there's eight players in each section. Um, there's obviously seeding, so there's four players in the first round. Uh, each winner then goes to play one of two, and then one of two in the third round, and then there's a final round as well. Um, so let's get get on with it. Uh, the first section, of course, concludes Jimmy White against Stephen Andrew. We talked about that at length last week. Uh, Zach Surety and Fang Zhengji, and then the winners play either Zhu Zhi or Liam Highfield, and then it's Shou Yulong and Elliot Slesser. So obviously we've got legends there. Uh, one of them is going to get through to round two to play mm. Zhu Zhi, the Jimmy or Stephen Hendry. Uh, I'm going to go straight in with it. My my choice is Joe Yulong. I'm not exactly sticking my neck out. I I think he would have been in the top 16, but for the fact that he actually couldn't play in the World Championship last year because he was in China, so he mm. didn't get didn't get the chance to earn any points. He didn't miss out by much on a 16 spot. To me, he's definitely going to be there at some point, and I think I I just think he's well objectively the best player in that section. Yeah, I'm going for Hendry. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'd love to see him back there, of course. And I know he said that's his main aim. You know, if he could achieve that in his comeback to qualify for the Crucible one more time, he'd be satisfied. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I can't really see much argument. I'm not dismissing the other players. I mean, Elliot Slesser obviously is a very good player, as you see, and Liam Highfield and the others. But, you know, it's very hard to make any argument from that section for anyone other than who you long. The only thing that, that could stop him is just the pressure to get in there. But, mm. um, but you know, I, I mean, he played well. I thought in 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 the championship league. Obviously, got to the winners group. I rate him very highly. So the next section: uh, Ken Doherty against Lee Walker, Ollie Lyons against Dylan Emery, uh, Nigel Bond and Dominic Dale, two two veterans waiting in the next round, and then the final round: the seeds, Matt Selt and Scott Donaldson. So over to you for this section. Yeah, I mean, I looked at this and I thought, do you know what I might do? I might actually just pick the 16 highest ranked players, and then I looked back to last year and thought, well, actually, very very few of those got through, and then. I thought, well, I go scientific and look at head-to-heads and all the rest. In the end, I just decided to go with my gut. And after a week of Championship League breakfast, it's quite a substantial gut. <laughs> so in this case, uh, just on a gut feeling, I'm actually going to go for Scott Donaldson. OK, I went for him last year and uh, mm. he didn't qualify. I'm actually sticking my neck out here. I'm going for Oliver Lyons. Now, because mm. um, he's coming from the first round, so he's got to win four matches. He hasn't quite done it yet, Ollie. But I've seen him play a few times where I've been really impressed with him. And you're always going to get players who will just play well. It's happened to Ash Carty last year. Uh, it's happened before to players like Mitchell Mann came through one year. They just get a bit of a buzz on. And 
He's not got to worry about his tour card because he got on the Q school last year, so he, this is his first year. He's not playing with the same pressure as, for example, Dominic, actually. He's not guaranteed to stay on the tour. Mm. Um, Scott Donaldson's actually slipped out the top 32. Um, so I'm go- taking a bit of a flyer and going for Oliver Lyons. Matt Selt, I know quite a few people are looking at as well. He played well in the Gibraltar Open. But, you know, we're here. This is ju- just a bit of fun. You know, we're not, we're not saying who we want to qualify. We're just picking names on a podcast. It's not personal. And I think he will, at some point, Come good, Oliver Lyons. He's still young enough. Why not qualify for Sheffield? It'll be popular there because obviously he's a local man. I remember when Peter, his dad, qualified. Yeah. First World Championship I worked on, 98. Yeah. And he, and he was talking then about, like, he's, oh, I've got this son, he's only two or something. Then that was that's how long ago it was. He said, you know, I'd love to, you know, play well here and he, in the future he can watch it. Well, of course, what happened was he made a 1 4 1. And the footage, he didn't get the footage uh, recorded. The BBC didn't have it. It was actually only on this podcast last year. You might remember. I said. I do remember I was, it, yeah. I worked with Peter on a tournament and he said, any chance you, you could find this? And I actually mentioned it. And a, a great listener of ours had it. And I forwarded that to Peter. He's delighted. So um, maybe Lines Mark II could uh, could get there as well. Anyway, we'll see. Well, ju- yeah. just, 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 just on that point, I mean, you know, it's 1998 all over again because Stephen Hendry's first match of the championship is against Jimmy White. Ken Doherty's first match of the championship is against Lee Walker. And you're predicting the Lines to be there. So sh- it's 98 all over again. What a shame Josephine's is not open. If you were listening, well, last, if you were listening last week, you'll know what we're talking about. Anyway, uh, well, okay. sorry, yeah. just, we yeah. just have to say what well, we have to mention this, because if you're tipping Oliver Lines, and I may be missing something really, really obvious here, but would that be the first father and son pair to have both played at the Crucible? Well, it's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Be. So we'll Jeff, probably Jeff, think of someone really obvious in a minute. Well, well no, I mean, Jeff, Jeff, yeah, Foltz, Jeff, Jeff Foltz didn't play there, so... Um, I know, but we'll, we'll probably remember that Bill Davis actually played there back in the day or something <laughs> like that. Anyway, well, okay. So the next section we've got Fraser Patrick against Leo Fernandez, Barry Pinches against Jamie Wilson. Second round seeds are Joe O'Connor and Jack Jones, and then Robert Milkins, Kurt Mathlin in the last round. I thought this was one of the hardest sections actually. Yes. Joe O'Connor, his tour card is not guaranteed, so he's got that pressure. I can go one of two ways: it can inspire you, or it can put you under more pressure. Sure. Um, he's quite a dangerous player, I think, actually. Uh, Jack Jones much improved uh, last couple of years. Of course, he's based in Sheffield now. Practices that mm. Ding, Acad- Ding Academy where Ken actually had a, a maximum uh, yesterday, I believe. Um, so he's dangerous. Must be big pockets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No need for that. Uh, Mafflin um, got to the quarters last year. Hasn't played for a while. Very rusty at Championship League. Yeah. Actually, Group Seven this week when he came back. Robert Milkins, you know, very kind of experienced. Been at the Crucible many times. Knows how to qualify. Um, so, well, we're here to pick a name. I've actually gone for the Milkman. It's it's a bit of a, a safe bet, but I just think, you know, he's got the experience of qualifying and that's all he's kind of thinking about. Some of these other guys have got other things going on. The Milkman, it's all business, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, you can make a very strong case for Milkins, Mafflin, O'Connor or Jones. In the end, though, got to go with an instinct. So, as you say, he's improved a lot this season and I like the look of him. I like the vibe of his attitude. And I think it helps a bit that he's living in Sheffield. I think that helped Ding a lot, actually, the year he had to play all the way through the qualifying rounds and then onto the final itself. So I think that probably is a little bit of an advantage. So Jack Jones for me. OK, next section, we've got a new player from China, Gao Yang against Paul Davison. Sahil Vahidi against Julian Leclerc. Now, I have to say, I don't like it when commentators say I've never seen this young man before, but he is a new name to me. Mm. Um, uh uh, Lu Haishan and Chang Bingyu in the second round, and then the the big hitters, and they are big hitters in the last round, Nop and Sengong yeah. and Tom Ford. Uh, to me, it comes down 
to, to probably to a best of 19 between those two. I wouldn't re- rule out Sahil Vahedi actually getting through to play forward, yeah. but but and, and again, that best of 11, I think, would, would favour him more than a best of 19. But, of course, Sengham got to the second round last year. It's been reasonably quiet, it's got to be said, this season. Uh, Tom Ford is a player I rate very highly, um, and ultimately, he is my choice here. Yeah, uh, it's funny, though, when you were saying about commentators saying I've never heard of this player very often that's from some old school person who's referring to a player who just won a ranking event a couple of weeks before <laughs> or something yes. but uh, yeah I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going with Ford as well I mean Sankham is one of those players who when you see him play well you think you know how has he not done a lot more in the game because his best performances are really really good uh, but you can say the same for Tom Ford actually and uh, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll edge it for him Next section, uh, a rematch actually of a match from last year. Andy Hicks against Ren Evans, the Women's World Champion. Billy Castle against Connor Benzie. Round two, we have Eden Sharaf and Champeng Clay coming in. And in the last round, uh, former Crucible Champion Graham Dot and also Sonny Akani from Thailand, uh, a man who probably loves snooker more than anyone. I mean, I was there at the qualifiers last year and he was just practicing just relentlessly. And all the, all the staff in the hotel fell in love with him. They're all asking mm. how he's getting didn't care about any of the results, just how Sonny getting on. Got very close to qualifying actually. And he it would be great. I would love to see him qualify just because I know it would mean the world to him. Having said that, um we're not here to romanticize anything. We've got to mm. just pick pick winners. I can't personally and you can go first on the next one. I know I'm monopolizing this a bit, but uh, mm. I can't personally see beyond Graham Dot. I know he didn't qualify last year. He lost to Martin Gould who was playing really well. But Graham Dot, yeah, you know, he, he normally gets through, doesn't he? Yeah, it wouldn't mean the world to Sonny Akani. It would mean the world's to qualify. Good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with you on that one. Um, I mean, Graham Dot just keeps on going, doesn't he? And he's actually, the last couple of years has probably been maybe his best couple of years that he's had for a while. I know, I mean, you think of the Grand Prix last year that he almost won. And uh, I'm always someone who likes to see non-British players getting through just to sort of give it a bit more mm. of an international flavour. So from that point of view, it would be great to see Akani qualify. But but I like seeing Graham Dot there as well because great memories actually of him and uh, the Crucible over the years. And the year he won it in 06 uh, was a really memorable year there actually for all sorts of reasons. And obviously he's been in a final there too. And yeah, I think he, he, he looks the strongest bet. So I'll go for him. Speaking of Sonny, and listen to this for a segue, right? Mm-hmm. Graham actually had, Graham Dot at the Championship League had his son with him. I think his name yeah, is Lewis, okay. Lewis. And he is an absolute snooker nut. He was practicing on the table when the players weren't on it. Clearly, you know, really loves the game. And I think actually that could be a, be a help to Graham. The fact that he's got, you know, this um, kind of uh, maybe added motivation, you know, obviously wants to, you know, make his son as proud as he can and maybe inspire him as well to, to take the game seriously. So that's an interesting dynamic. He played well in that uh, in that winner's group uh, just recently. Uh, next section. OK, we've got David Lilly against Amina Miri, Brandon Sargent against Rebecca Kenner. Then coming in, Jamie Jones, of course, who's had a good season back on the tour through the Q School. Andrew Higginson, one of the real stalwarts. Final round, we've got Michael Holt and uh, Lee Hang, who uh, was, uh, what was a semi-finalist, wasn't in the Scottish Open, very nearly a finalist. Uh, an interesting section. This I'll, I'll go to you first. Yeah, um, Jamie Jones, as you say, he's played very well since coming back on the tour. And um, he's a very good player, actually. Again, someone who you think maybe he should have achieved a bit more in the game. And the year he got to the quarterfinals, which incredibly is nine years ago now. Uh, um, so long ago, Stephen Hendry was even playing in the championship. <laughs> but the uh, yeah, I thought he played brilliantly that year, actually. And um, you know, was very impressed with how he seemed to settle in. So 
I think he's got a huge amount of talent and has delivered on it a bit more this season than perhaps he has in the past. I was a bit surprised, actually, that I saw him so low down the rankings. And then, of course, I remembered, you know, he, he obviously missed a long period of time. But he's come back very strong. And I mean, if he has as good a season next season as he has this time, he'll be way up the rankings because on the one year list, he's actually in pretty good shape. So, yeah, I like Jamie Jones in this section. Unfortunately, I agree. Uh, we have mm. we have differed on a few of them. Yeah, I think though the the, the actual out, the live outside here is David Lilly. He'll beat Amina Miri, I think. Um, sure. Now, if he beats Jones, I think he would feel you know confident about beating Michael Holt. He's a relatively new pro, Lilly, but he's not a young man at all. He's in his forties. Of course, spent a long time actually working, so didn't turn professional. Was a very good amateur. He's had a few results so this season. He beat Sean Murphy on television. So I wouldn't rule him out, but I, I do think Jamie Jones, he's been very hungry, hasn't he, since he got back on the tour. He's a good player, bottom line. Um, and yeah, I could I could definitely see him qualifying. Next section, Zhao Jiambo, uh, Ross against Ross Muir, Rod Lawler against Alex Borg. Coming in, Jimmy Robertson, unbelievably, is uh, battling to stay on the circuit. Uh, and also Wan Sijun. Last round, Lu Ning, who's had some good results this year. And of course, Liang Wenbo, always a danger man and again i shall defer to you on this yeah this was one of the hardest ones actually mm. i thought because i mean lu ning liang wenbo yuan Shijun, three chinese players who you would have no difficulty seeing any of them getting through to the crucible but i'm just going to go for jimmy you were talking there about players having to uh, play for their tour mm-hmm. cards and some react well to it and some react badly again just on a hunch i think he'll react well to it and he could have had a tougher section, actually, because, I mean, you look at Liang Wenbo as the highest ranked player in there, but you wouldn't say he was dependable. And the pressures of the final qualifying round, again, in the past, he's responded very well to that. But you never really know with Liang whether he's going to succumb to those pressures a bit. And I think this might be slightly wishful thinking, because any time I've met Jimmy Robertson, he's a very likable guy. He's someone who, you, you know, you want to see staying on the circuit because... You know, he's a good player and, as I say, a good lad and someone who won a ranking event only a couple of seasons ago, but really just hasn't built on it at all. So I'd like to see him getting through, and my hunch is that he might. It, you're right, it's a tough section. I've actually gone for Yuan Sejun. Um, he hasn't done much this season, that's true, but, you know, he had a run of results. He was, a couple of years ago, he seemed to beat a top player in every tournament. Mm. Um, and Stephen Hendry was very, very impressed with him. We did a tournament, one of the ITV ones, I think the World Grand Prix, uh, and he was, you know, he was very impressed with him. Thought, thought, you know, he's a real prospect. He's still young, you know. He's had some setbacks, but that's not, that's not that unusual. Um, why not? You know, he's, I think he's good enough, and it, it's going to be tough to get through that sort of that last wall, as it were, of Looning and Liang Wenbo. But again, that best of eleven. I come come back to this again. That third round, I think, gives some of these guys from the early rounds hopes. I think if all the matches were best of 19, we'd have, we'd maybe be picking different names. But actually, that best of 11, I think, makes a difference. So I'm going for Yuan Sejun there. Next round, get ready. Uh, we're going to say it. Fergal O'Brien. Yeah, O'Brien, again, yeah. Against another Fergal. Fergal Quinn, a young Irishman. Uh, Jamie Clark, of course, who uh, got to the second hand last year against Ulian Boyko of Ukraine. Stuart Carrington and Jamie O'Neill. And then in the last round, two real <laughs> veterans here, Mark Davis and Joe Perry. Um this is an interesting section because Carrington uh, very nearly got to the Gibraltar Open final. Um, Fergal is always going to give it absolutely everything. Fergal O'Brien, that is. I'm sure Fergal Quinn will as well. Mm. Mark, Mark Davis and Joe Perry. Very, I, mean, I know I'm just naming all the players now. Mark Davis and Joe Perry, very experienced. Jamie Clark, you know, will want to get back there after last year. So, you know, it's a tough one, this. But I, I have, I, I suppose, played it safe in a way. I've gone for Joe Perry. Mm. Uh, he lost, actually, to Clark last year, didn't he, in the best of 11. And they could play again. 
Um, so that's interesting already. But I don't know. I just think, you know, if you're looking for someone sort of dependable as 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 sort of, you know, the maelstrom of qualifying is going on, someone like Joe Perry is who you go to. Yeah, if Joe Perry and Mark Davis do end up playing in the last qualifying round and you're commentating on it, don't make any dinner appointments that night because you could see that being an absolute slog. Well, they, well, you I, can't, I there's nowhere to make them, so it's all, that's fine. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so definitely don't do it, yeah. thanks. You, you know, you'll be in trouble with the law as much as anything. But yeah, you could see that being one of those matches that just goes really, really late and fantastic tension and all the rest of it. And um, Back in the old days, of course, before the ranking system changed, that could have been a match where one of them you know, might have been battling to secure a top 16 place for the following season or something. Obviously, it's all a bit more fluid now. But yeah, I'm just going to go for Perry. But again, I mean, you know, Davis, no trouble at all seeing him get in there. And if he does, that would be, I think, 26 years after he first qualified. Well, he's qualified, he's qualified more times than anyone, 10 times. Yeah, yeah. I think 95, the Uri beat Ken in the first round. I think that was his debut. And um, the... Yeah, yeah, Stuart Carrington, as you say, you know, I mean, has shown some good stuff late in the season. I'm one of those players who you're never surprised to see do well and pull out, pull out a good result. But yeah, I'll just go for for Joe in the end. Now, this next section, there's sort of something for everyone here. We've got Igor Figueredo against Farrakh Jabe, Rory McLeod against Brian Achoisky. Uh, then Robbie Williams and Anthony Hamilton come in the next round and the final round, Tepchara New. Of course, could have been there as a seed, just dropped out the top 16. And Mark Joyce, who I think I maybe said this last year, he's got to be the, the, the best player not to qualify. I mean, he's never mm. played at the Crucible. He's been going at it a long time. I, remember, I did tip him last year, look back. Um, yeah, go on, over to you. Yeah, well, pretty boring, really, but just, just going to go for Tep Chai new. I mean, I think he's just, there's some very good players in there, but at the moment and over the last couple of years, I think he's by far the best of them. But again, I mean, of course, Joyce, absolutely good enough to qualify. Uh, Hamilton, well, I mean, he qualified last year, of course, didn't he? And um, then decided to pull out, having not been there for 12 years. So it's one of those, again, where you can make a case for three or four players from that section, but it's very hard when you see one of those names in there to to, to not make him your ultimate choice. So uh, Onu, who of course got hammered in the first round last year by O'Sullivan. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, I've gone for Robbie Williams, actually. Uh, mm. He's a player who he gets good results, actually, here and there. Doesn't seem to beat that many top players. But in terms of qualifying, he's been there, I think, three times before. In fact, when it was at Ponds Forge, the qualifiers, he, he seemed to qualify every year. Um, and, yeah, I mean, again, obviously, you'd have to beat Tepchire. But, again, that best of 11, I think, would, would favour him more than the best of 19. Mm. Mark, and if he played Mark Joyce in the last round, Joyce, you know, he's desperate to get there. So, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna save Robbie Williams there. Um, next section, some, some big players here, actually. We've got Ashley mm. Carty, who, who qualified last year. Michael White, who's not a professional, but has been a, he's a former quarterfinalist, and everyone knows how good he is. Uh, Peter Lyons, who we mentioned earlier, against Mark Lloyd, who's one of the amateur top-ups. Louis Heathcote, the last year's Rookie of the Year. Uh, of course, battling to stay on tour now, though. Uh, and Lu Hong Hao, who, of course, got lost 10-0 to Sean Murphy that time. And then Ryan Day, shootout winner and, and Crucible stalwart, and Ricky Walden, former semi-finalist as well. So uh, I, I noticed, because we did a thing on the World Snooker website, some of us, uh, quite a few of the guys went for Ricky there. Um, and, of course, Ryan Day would be a lot of people's choice. But I am actually going to... This is the only other one I've tipped from round one. I'm going to go for Michael White to qualify. Mm. Um I really rate him. I mean, you know, I think when he plays really well, he's great to watch. He he, he can be the opposite. If he gets nervous, um, it can all fall apart. And that's in part, of course, why he ended up off the tour in the first place. Um, he 
got, had a couple of good results last year, actually, in qualifying. But also, he doesn't have the pressure. I mean, Louis Heathcote, for example, if he played him in the second round, Louis Heathcote is battling to stay on the tour there. Michael White doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with a bit of momentum behind him, why not? I tell, I'll say this now, OK? Someone will qualify from round one, all right? That will happen. Yeah, yeah. I've already, well, named, Oliver, I've already named Oliver Lyons, and I'm going to say Michael White has a good chance as well. Yeah. Well, it'd be great if he uh, qualified and drew Judd Trump. And then that would mark the 20th anniversary of that night we saw the two of them as kids playing each other on the pool table in the hotel next to the Crucible. The Novotel. The Novotel, exactly, yeah. Um, also, as well, just imagine, I, I, I don't think Peter Lines, I, it'd be unlikely for him to qualify, but imagine him and Oliver both got through and both won their first round match and played each other. I mean, they played a best of three recently. They both said it was horrible. Imagine a best of 25 between father and son. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Uh, this is the only one that I actually wrote a name down, crossed it out and put in a different name. Because initially the name I wrote down was Ryan Day, just because look, he's a really, really good player still. You know, when he performs well, he's still very capable. But then I just thought that, as you say, there's always someone who just finds it and gets through. You know, a very capable player who maybe hasn't done that much during the season, but finds a way through. And I just feel it might be Heathcote, actually. So I've gone for him. Lou Hong Hao, what a disappointment he's been over the last couple of years. You know, you think back to how well he played at that English Open a couple of years back. He he really looked like you see all these promising young Chinese players. Some of them, you don't know if they have the right stuff to really make it in the UK, which is still where most of the circuit is. He seemed to be someone who did, but just hasn't happened for him at all over the last couple of years. So, yeah, Heathcote is my pick. It's interesting about Lou Hong Hao because when he lost 10-0 to Murphy, that was, what, two years ago now, um, the sort of received wisdom was, oh, he's young, he'll bounce back. But no one seemed to think, actually, it might destroy him at an experience like that. Yeah, you know, on the yeah. biggest stage there is to be, you know, basically humiliated. I mean, Murphy played great, but, I mean, to, to lose 10-0, he got the low, lowest everything, lowest points, lowest break, all that sort of stuff. Um, quite hard to just sort of shrug that off. Louis Heathcote, of course, he beat Ali Carter, didn't he, last year um, in the qualifiers? Came quite close. to. I think Alan McManus did for him in the end. Um yeah, listen, he's, he's got something definitely. And I hope he stays on the tour at the very least, even if he doesn't qualify for the Crucible. It'd be great to see him stay on. Next section, Alan Taylor. Sorry, hang on. You, did, yeah. you didn't make a pick there, did you? Oh, so, uh, yeah, Michael White I went for. Oh, you yeah. did? Sorry, it seems yeah. so long ago now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next section, we've got Alan Taylor against Byline Ning, uh, Dwayne Jones against Hayden Staniland, the aforementioned Alan McManus and Daniel Wells come in round two, and the last round, Ben Wollaston and Martin Gould. I'm happy to say I tipped Alan McManus last year. The problem, mm. the problem Alan's got this year is very simple. He can't practice properly because his practice base is, is shut. Um, and he, as you can imagine, is a very diligent practicer, but he's only sort of grabbing time here and there. I mean, when we were at the ITV event, uh, whenever they went in the practice room with the camera, he seemed to be on the table because he's trying to get good quality practice. Um, it's not easy for a lot of players. He's not the only one, but uh, uh, that, uh, that I think is one of the reasons I'm not tipping Alan this year. Um, Again, it's playing it slightly safe, but Martin Gould, I mean, he played so well last year when he got there. Um, you know, he got to that final it was early on in the season, OK? Hasn't quite maintained that form, but I don't know. I just think he, in general, is feeling good. He came on the podcast, of course, talked about his, his mental health problems. He's feeling good now, and, you know, you, you just feel could co- could cause problems, certainly if he got there, and I think he will get there. Yeah, I mean, he's someone who, again, you're never really surprised to see him do well because he can just produce it very suddenly. Um, Daniel Wells, again, a player who you know, there was a lot of talk about when he started out on the tour. And yes, he's had a few good performances and results here and there, but he's been around a long time now, actually, and really hasn't done very much. 
Um, you were talking there about Mark Joyce being probably the best player never to have qualified for the Crucible. Ben Wollaston you know, is very nearly uh, the holder of that because he's only been there once, which seems remarkable. And I think it was nine years ago now, wasn't it? And played Ali Carter in the first round. But I just like his chances again. You know, it, it's there's some tricky names in there, but it's not the hardest section. And Wollaston will know at this stage he won't have many more chances to uh, add to his you know, fairly paltry return of Crucible appearances. So wouldn't be at all surprised to see Gould get there. And obviously he's almost won a ranking event this season. But yeah, just going to go for Wollaston. Well, Ben, one thing he is good at is winning his first match in every tournament. Of course, in this mm. occasion, he's got to win two. Yeah. Would maybe have to beat Gould in the last round. But we will see. Maybe there'll be two Wollastons there because I... Well, I assume Tatiana's referee. I don't know, actually, if she is or not. But anyway, um, maybe there'll only be one. Maybe there'll be none. I don't know. Um, anyway. <laughs> There's a minute of our lives we're not yeah, getting back. Exactly. Well, this is... And, this and is, funny, I actually don't think she is. But anyway, Okay. On. Well, this is what this podcast brings you. Uncertainty. Yeah. <laughs> and a lack of research. Uh, yeah. Put it this way. If she's not there, it's because she can't get time off work. Because she's on merit, she'd be there, definitely. Um, well, so what, yeah. what's I didn't know that. Does what, what's her day job? I, I, I believe. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to get this wrong, but I believe is she not involved in the bank? I think is that okay. her, or is that may actually might be Micah Kessler in Germany. Um, Let's just move along from this. Yeah, Tatiana this thing, is just we'll get yeah. Ourselves in trouble. Yeah, we're just displaying our general ignorance. But she definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's true with a lot of the reps. Obviously, they're not full time, and um, a lot of them have to negotiate with um, getting time off one thing actually it's good to see i know marcel eckhart's going to be there um yeah. olivia martil has come over which mm-hmm. is great i mean obviously he's been genuinely at the front line of the covid fight he works in a hospital mm-hmm. good to see him jan verhas is coming over which is you know great because he's been there like quarter of a century now at the crucible so, and i think dasha slava's coming as well so some of the overseas refs who we haven't seen for a long time are coming over uh, to join some of the British refs there as well. I don't know if Tatiana is one of them. Um, I'll, I'll, we will move on from that because we just don't know clearly. Uh, next section. <laughs> I might edit that out. Anyway, next section, Stephen Hallworth and Dean Young, James Cahill, two years, of course, since he beat O'Sullivan against mm. Sean Maddox, David Grace, who were uh, on his previous crucible appearance, took home the, uh, his, the sign with his name on from the door to put in his house. That's how much of a fan of all thing mm. he is. Gerald Green played there a few times. And then, of course, it could be Brown v. Green, couldn't it, in the last round? Because we've got Jordan oh, Brown. fantastic, yeah. Jordan, Jordan Brown, a, a seven-pointer. You heard a six-pointer. That's a seven-pointer. Um, you've got uh, Jordan Brown, Welsh Open champion, of course. Gary Wilson, semi-finalist just two years ago. So this is a tough old section, actually. Some top players here. Um, and I'm going to leave it to you to, to decide this one first. Yeah, well, I mean, James Cahill, you know, you look at his path. If his path was Judd Trump, Neil Robertson, and the exhumed corpse of Joe Davis... You know, you'd probably be fancying him to get through, but he just doesn't seem to produce it against the uh, the players more sort of his own level. So he's a, an absolute enigma. Dean Young, I think, is the young lad who Alan McManus coaches um, or certainly has been doing some work with. Uh, but, you know, probably a long way from being good enough to qualify for the Crucible. David Grace, as you say, Gerard Green's been around so long. I think it was 99 the first time he qualified. And then Gary Wilson, I mean, again, he's not really picked up on what he did a couple of years ago. And again, he's spoken about having some mental health problems and some good signs recently that he's turning around a bit. But I do just fancy Jordan Brown to get through. I think things came a bit too quick for him, maybe, um, after the Welsh Open. He went to the Players' Championship. Now, probably wasn't much he could do against John Higgins. Nobody else managed to get much change out of him. But I think maybe now that he's had a little bit of time to presumably go home and just refresh a bit, 
Um, I think he'll come back and maybe produce some of his best again. And it would be great for Jordan Brown to finish the season that he became possibly the most unlikely ranking event winner ever back at the Crucible, where, of course, he played last year. And I think he said somewhere along the way that, you know, he learned so much. And he, he did OK last year, acquitted himself quite well uh, in his match there. But I think he, he indicated that he feels if he could get back there, he can learn a lot from what he experienced last year. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to go for Jordan Brown. What I'd like to know after all that is how did the exhumed corpse of Joe Davis get seeded ahead of those other players that you mentioned? But that's, Well, I mean, that's... You, you look at some of the people who have got wild cards the last few years, well, and you'd have half a chance. I'm going for Jordan Brown for the exact, yeah. for the exact reasons you gave. So, yeah, I agree. I think he's got he's had a bit of time to get over what happened and, you know, ultimately use the positives from it. But it's a tough section, that. Yeah. Uh, Next up, we've got C. Joahi, Hamin Hussain, who's coming in as a wildcard. Got a very strange action, hasn't he? Um, sort of cues almost round a corner. Um, Peter Devlin. Well, he lives fr- round the corner from you. So. Indeed. Peter Devlin, <laughs> friend of the podcast, uh, against Lucas Kleckers. Second round, I think a very dangerous rookie, actually. Pang Jung yeah. from China. He's had some good results. Alexander Erson, back, who qualified last year. Ali Carter, who is playing some seriously good stuff right now. And Martin O'Donnell, who always makes it tough. So, again, this is a... This is a pretty tough section, actually. Um, and <laughs> I suppose I have played it safe. I've gone for Ali Carter. I, do, I like the way he's playing at the minute. He's playing very positive snooker. I did a match with yesterday at the Championship League where he was unbelievably unlucky, actually. Um, I forget now who he was playing, but he lost 3-0 and nothing went for him. But ge- in general, he's sort of he's playing to his strengths. He's attacking. He's not getting too bogged down. Um, certainly put it this way, if he does qualify, and here's my tip, you want to avoid him in the first round. Yeah. And I think, doesn't he have... A, a really good record actually and I think he's only missed out once in like mm. 20 years or something like that I'm getting through so yeah I'm going to go for him if he loses to that young Chinese player he'll have pangs of regret about not making it to the Crucible but um, yeah actually it was last year wasn't it he missed out he lost to Heathcote yeah he yeah that was it yeah. and he'd been in the quarterfinals for the previous two years obviously he's been a two-time finalist but when he missed out last year it was the first time since 2002 so, uh, you know, very dependable in terms of qualifying. Obviously, a lot of those years he would have been seeded straight through. But, uh, yeah, I think you have to give it to, to Carter there. Uh, next section, Casper Flipiak against Riley Parsons, Aaron Hill against Ashley Hugill. Then coming in round two, Jackson Page and Sam Craigie. And the last round, or the round three anyway, Zhao Xingtong, Hussein Vafai. Um, quite an international lineup here. Um I tipped him last year. He didn't qualify. It'd be great if he did, I think. Hussein Vafaya, it'd be another country to tick off in Chris Downer's Crucible Almanacki Ram, mm-hmm. first Iranian there. It, it's a tough one, this. Sam Craigie is dangerous. We know that. Of course, Aaron Hill, you know, new on the tour, mm-hmm. had that win over Ronnie O'Sullivan earlier in the season. Jackson Page, struggling a little bit to stay on the tour. Let's hope he does. Xiaoxing Tong, another very attacking player. So there's some, you know, some danger there. I don't know. I just think Vafaya, I just think, when I, when I see him play well, you think, yeah, he's definitely a top player. He doesn't do it all the time. He's inconsistent, that's for sure. But it, I, I'd like to see him get through uh, just because I think, like you said earlier, it kind of makes the World Championship more international. And, and looking at that section, I don't say it with any certainty, but he is my tip. Yeah, I mean, just looking at that, you were talking about players getting through from the first round. I'm not tipping them to, but Ashley Hugel is someone you could maybe just see doing it. You know, he just seems like that sort of player who could who could go on that kind of run. Zhao Xingtong is someone who we've been saying for a really long time, oh, he could be the best of all the Chinese. Well, he's 24 now, you know? He's 24 yeah. actually today, I think, uh, as we as we do this podcast. So I'm going to spoil his birthday by not tipping him. I'm sure he'll be absolutely devastated. Yeah. 
Yeah, he, um, he, won't, he won't be listening again, will he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cancelling his subscription. Yeah. yeah. So um, th- th- there are probably about as many players in that section who you could realistically see qualifying as in any section. There's Page you could see getting there. Craigie, as you say, Xiao Jintong, despite the fact I've just slated him. You could see him getting through. Hugel as well, I'm rating. Aaron Hill, I mean, you know, listen, he lives walking distance from my house. I'd love to see him get there, but I don't know if he's quite ready to come through a section like that just yet. So, yeah, I think Fafai, very, very good player. A little bit surprising he hasn't made it yet. And, you know, it would be great if he could uh, he could add to that that list of countries that have been represented at the Crucible that I don't think any of us feel is long enough yet. We want to see more countries added to it. So, yeah, Fafai for me. Next section, we've got two to go. Uh, Leipai fan against Ben Mertens. He he became the youngest person to win yeah. a match in, in World Qualifying last year. Young lad from Belgium. Simon Lichtenberg from Germany against Russia's Ivan Kokovsky. And then we've got Chris Wakelin and Ian Burns coming in. Final round, uh, Crucible veteran Matthew Stevens and also Jean Houdon, who's had a few appearances there. Uh, go on, over to you. Yeah, this was a difficult one, actually, because I think this is a good section to be in because any of those guys particularly those who aren't coming in in the first round. I mean, if, if they play to their potential, you could easily see it being good enough because some of these other players may be a bit in and out of form. Funnily enough, in the end, I've just gone for Matthew Stevens. Um, you know, maybe it goes back to just being so accustomed over the years to seeing him not really doing much all season and then just turning it on for the World Championship. Having said that, I think in a lot of times over the years, that may be because of the longer matches which I think really, really suit him and bring out the best in him. And of course, this time, you know, he has to come through a best of 11 before he gets to the longer matches. But I mean, Xiao Gudong, again, just a little bit in and out, not someone who ever gets a consistent run of good tournaments together. Burns, someone very capable of, of playing very well. Um, but just just somehow in the end, I found myself plumping for Matthew. I've gone free in Burns. Um mm. And this is slightly strange, actually, why. And I, I rate Ian highly, but um, I had it wasn't a dream so much as just sort of a premonition that he was going to play on the first morning against Yambing Tao. Now, they put the schedule out this week, and Yambing Tao is indeed on the first morning. Okay, <laughs> Amazing so, if this happens. So I just think, yeah, I don't know. It was, it's not, it's not, wasn't a dream. It's like you sort of deja vu when you suddenly remember something. Um, and at some point, I had this thought, it's almost a reverie, um, that he, he was going to play Yambing Tao as Ronnie starting out on table one. That is the match on table two. Yambing Tao is playing on table two. I know people are saying now, you know, have you been drinking or something? But Ian Burns is going to play Yambing Tao on table two on Saturday yeah. morning, April the 17th. That's going to happen. And he, Ian is my tip. He's actually struggling to stay on the tour, so he's got all that going on. I don't think this is the worst section to be in, though, if you're coming in the round. Oh, he's yeah. In. This is not yeah. the, you know, the worst sessions, and, and why not? And if that happens, if he, if he plays Yambing Tao, on that uh, on that Saturday morning, then that is proof that I am some sort of higher power. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I, I remember that the closest I can come to that, I remember sitting down to watch a match between Aston Villa and Arsenal, probably about 2001, 2002, something like that. And I remember thinking before the match, I have a feeling we're going to come from 2-0 down. This is before it had even kicked off. We're going to come from 2-0 down to win this 3-2. And incredibly, that was exactly what happened. I mean, how often does that happen? Now, it didn't go so well for someone else who once wanted to back Colin Montgomery in the Masters because he'd had a dream that he won it. And he said, yeah, I had a dream and he's 750 to one. And I pointed out there's a reason why he's 750 to one. So uh, he didn't see it through. And Montgomery didn't win the Masters. Well, yeah, I can, I can well, top 
I can top that for a premonition. About the age of 25, I thought, I bet over the next 20 years, all my hair falls out. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, anyway. Well, uh, hang on. When you were 25, most of it was already gone. Ow. So, I mean, that, that, was, that, was, that was hardly the most uh, prophetic comment. Low blow. Let's, let's finish off. Last section. Ben Hancorn against Florian Nussel. Nussel. Mm. Probably not how you pronounce his name. No. Mitchell Mann, who has played there before, gets Robbie McGuigan. He's... Uh, Mark Allen's stepson. Mark King and uh, Chenzi Fan come in round two. Last round, some big hitters here. Luca Purcell and, of course, Stuart Bingham. Now, he's arguably the biggest name in the qualifiers, former champion. Yeah. Um, has fallen out. He only won it six years ago. Of course, won the Masters last season. That didn't do his ranking any good. Um, my feeling on Bingham, and I'm going to tip Stuart Bingham, I'm going to say that right away, is he will go there with the right attitude. Yeah. The attitude, the attitude he has for every event, which is just he's looking forward to playing and we'll give it a good go. I, I, I'm going to tip him. I'll say this, though. If anyone's going to beat him, OK, my prediction is it'll be Mark King. If Mark King can get through to the last round, that best of 19 could be quite sticky, actually, because they, 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 they're from the same area. They know each other well. Mark King can make it very tough. But I do think Bingham will qualify. Yeah, um, you, you, you got to pick him. And I, I agree with you. I think he'll go with the right attitude there. I mean... Suppose Stuart Bingham, I mean, don't forget, he's nearly 45 now, so it's not that hard to imagine that in three or four years from now, he might have declined to the extent that he, he'll drop off the tour. He'd go to Q school, you know? I mean, that's, that's the sort of player he is. And I remember him saying once that even when he goes on holiday, the first thing he does is look for a pool table to have a game with someone. He just seems to have the most insatiable appetite for playing the game. Uh, so I think you're absolutely right. He'll go there with the right attitude and... Well, if he comes through, he will be the last player anyone will want to draw yeah. in the first round. 100% because he goes there, like when Ding qualified, yeah. not, with that, not with that pressure of being a seed. You've actually done half the, half, the, half the job already and you make it difficult for the others. OK, so there are choices. I've just jotted them down. So we've agreed on nine of the six yeah. people. Yeah. Um, I don't think you picked anyone from round one. Um, there's no judgment there. You just haven't. Um... Yeah, like I say, <laughs> it's just it was it was hard. I mean, the, the, you picked Michael White, and who was the other one from? Oh, oh Oliver Lines. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if either of them qualified. Lines is someone who looks to me like he's got a lot of ability, and hasn't quite brought it out yet. Now you would think, you know, he's at the Northern Snooker Centre, which everyone knows is just one of the best places in the world you can possibly mm -hmm. be working on your game. He literally could not have a better mentor. You know, the fact that it's his dad who's been around. This is one of the longest running pros on the circuit now. So, and he doesn't strike me as someone who has a particularly bad attitude. So you kind of wonder why it hasn't happened for him yet. So, yeah, wouldn't be surprised to see them getting through. We'd love to see Michael White get in. I think he's someone who has a lot more to give to the game and has a lot more to get out of the game than he's had already. He's still quite young. Um, I'm not even sure he's 30 yet. Is he maybe 30 this year sometime? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, wouldn't be surprised to see either of them. Well, listen, good luck to all the players. It's, it's a difficult um, 10 days. It's a lot of pressure. And, of course, you know, everyone wants to get to the Crucible. But as I say, also people playing for their tour cards. So good luck to everyone. It's live on the Eurosport app. Um, if you have that, they've got two table coverage there, one with commentary. Um, and then the draw is next week. Now, I thought if, if you've got time, we would end with just a couple of emails. Mm -hmm. um, we start with Steve Dunn. He says, I've just been thinking about how brilliant this season's been. Overall, it's been my favourite for a very long time. Obviously, we're all hoping that next season will be a return to crowds and venues that suit each tournament. But given what a lifeline it's given Snooker, do you think Milton Keynes Marshall Arena deserves one of the tournaments moving forward? I think it will be a fitting tribute to what has been a year no Snooker fan will ever get, or maybe it will trigger PTSD. Well, Steve, um, we don't know. I mean, next season is still in a state of flux. Um, 
hopefully things are going to open up I and mean, there's a crowd as part of the pilot event at the Crucible. What I'd like to see actually is is definitely a tournament go to Milton Keynes with a crowd. I think that would be a great way of sort of, in a way, drawing a line under everything that's happened. If we can get into a position where it's safe to have a crowd there, that would that would be fantastic, actually. Um, now, the Champion of Champions originally was supposed to be there last season because Coventry wasn't available. We'll see whether uh, they keep it at Milton Keynes. But but I certainly agree. I don't. All the criticism that I've heard is nonsense about Milton Keynes. They've done a great job. Uh, it's been, as you say, a lifeline for the game. And I think people who've been complaining about it need to get a sense of perspective because they'd be complaining a lot more if they were sat at home doing nothing. Yeah, exactly. I think what they're really complaining about is they associate Milton Keynes with playing with no crowds and mm. problems with travel and COVID and all the rest of it. I mean... The obvious question is, well, where would you have played all these tournaments? Exactly. You know? It's not Milton Keynes' yeah. fault. None of that is Milton yeah. Keynes' fault. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, and I do agree. I think definitely you'll see something there next season. And but the champion of champions was, was going to be there. As you say, that was because Coventry wasn't available. It maybe would only have been a one-off thing. But now there's been such a relationship built up with Milton Keynes that I, I definitely think it'll, it'll end up having an event uh, going forward from, from there. Liam Sandbrook writes, I have a question for the podcast. I would like to find out what happens when players practice together. I saw in an interview that Martin Gould said he got a call from Ronnie O'Sullivan. They arranged to practice. Also that Stephen Hendry was practicing with Jimmy White. Although that's over, he said, when the World Champs draw was told to him. Do players meet at a club near to where both of them live? Go around each other's houses if they have a table. Do they hire a referee? Split the tab for the table? How many days do they practice for? Well, at the moment, obviously, there are slight restrictions. They can professional players can practice together but it, it, let's talk about normal times it depends really a lot of players will travel so for example people have gone to play John Higgins in Scotland you know to get that mm. experience of playing him um, there aren't actually that many players with tables we, we've sort of established in the houses maybe only 10 so yeah. it's normally at a club you'll travel to so say Mark Selby and Leicester you'll travel to his club and you'll play him they don't hire referees they, they do all that themselves um, in terms of the table hire, I mean, a lot of the players don't pay for the tables anyway, so that's not that's not an yeah. issue. They they because they just have them for free. Um, that's that is that's it essentially. I think it's um you know it's I would say to any sort of new player, it's a good idea to try and do as much as that as you can in normal times. Travel. Jack Jones, you know, we mentioned has made the effort to go to Sheffield to play better players in that academy and try and move forward. Kyron has done the same, sort of going and, and practicing with people. Um, so that's it, essentially. They'll, they'll arrange it amongst themselves. Um, and usually, you know, if you want to play with a particular player who lives in, say, like John Higgins in Scotland, you will travel to Scotland and play him. Well, we haven't told a Fergal O'Brien story yet this week. <laughs> we did mention him in the draw, but it's not even really a story. But I just remember him saying that, and this just shows what, you know, what a dedicated practiser he was. And I, I guess he probably still is. But he went to Stirling, where Marco Fu was based, to practice with him. And he'd go, he'd turn up in the morning, they'd practice all day. And I remember him saying, yeah, you know, I, I was staying over there in a and b and I just had nothing else to do. So even when Marco had gone home, I'd just go back in the evening and practice for a few more hours. So he was literally practicing morning, noon and night. I definitely think it's, it's the way to go, incidentally. I mean, play with other players because, I mean, you see it from a safety point of view as well. You know, you can pot the balls and make the breaks on your own. But to, safety is something that you can't teach anyone. You only learn that through experience and playing against other players who are proficient at it and the only way to sharpen it up is by, by doing that in practice so absolutely i think there's a room for solo practice but players should definitely be practicing together as as much as possible 
Well, forgive me if I've told the story before about, about Stephen Andrew and Steve Maguire, but there may be new listeners. Yeah. Um, of course, they practiced together a lot, obviously, both in Scotland. When Stephen was sort of coming through as a teenager, Stephen Maguire, chance to play Hendry. I mean, that's just golden, isn't it? And, of course, Hendry beat him every day, gave, gave him a battering every day, until one day when Maguire won their match. So they played whatever it was, best of 19, let's say. Maguire won. And Hendry, <laughs> Hendry wasn't happy with this. He said to him, OK, fine, you've won. We'll play again tomorrow, nine o'clock right, in the morning. Mm. So Maguire's thinking, OK, great. Uh, nine o'clock tomorrow. I can't be late. OK, I can't be late. I've got to show him respect. He'll be pumped up to beat me. I'm going to get there early. So he gets there, let's say quarter to nine. Hendry's already set the table up and he sat mm. waiting. He sat with yeah, his cue yeah, in a chair yeah. waiting and, of course, beats him. That, and, but that, that is how Maguire improved, obviously, playing someone like that, learning from the best. That's what players have got to do. We'll just have a couple more emails and then we will wrap up. Stephen Forbes... Uh, at the time of writing, the semi-final of the Tour Championship between Robertson and Selby has started. And as I listen to your dulcet tones alongside those of Stephen Hendry, it reminds me of a question I meant to ask for some time. When commentators say things like, only a red colour red required to seal the frame, or he only needs two of the remaining three reds for his opponents require snookers, I've always wondered if you're referring to live data on your screens, where the various connotations are displayed in front of you and automatically calculated, or do you tend to make the calculations without the need for any pro programmatic assistance. What a phrase that is. Mm. Uh, now, yes, uh, he says, I guess the question could be phrased as, are you a competent and quick thinking old school mathematician as well as an acclaimed playwright and excellent broadcaster? I'm only reading this out. I didn't write this. <laughs> I didn't write this. He's, a, he's uh, actually none of those things. But anyway. <laughs> Personally, I'm hopeless at calculating who requires what at various stages in frames. So either way, I'm grateful for the additional information you and your fellow commentators provide during frames. It's interesting that, Stephen. I do wonder sometimes if, when we say that, if people think, yeah, we know, you don't need to keep saying it. Clearly not everyone does. No, I think, listen, if you played or if you've watched snooker for a long time, it just becomes ingrained. It's like darts players knowing how to check out. You know, the, the layman looking at it thinks, how does he know he's got to hit, you know, treble this, double that, whatever. They just know. And you know, if there's three reds left, that's 51, et cetera, et cetera. It just becomes part of the knowledge that you sort of just store automatically. Um to, to answer your question, there is a screen in the box that does, it sort of has it on. It's actually quite complicated. That, that They call it the fruit machine. Um, and there's so many numbers on it. Actually, you don't really know where to look half the time. Um, but yeah, I think anyone who's been following snooker for a long time, it just becomes kind of innate, I think, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I would just echo all of that. It's, it just becomes hardwired. I mean, you know, if someone said to you, well, four reds left on the table, immediately you think 59. Five reds, you think 67. You don't have to think about it at all. The one time you might have to think about it a little more is when someone's got about, I don't know, eight or nine reds left and you're, you know, they could already have a break of, you know, in the 40s or whatever. And then you're trying to think how much more they need. When, when it gets to the higher numbers of reds, you might have to think for just a moment because you're not so hardwired into to thinking those. But yeah, I mean, it just it becomes an instinct, doesn't it? And it is very similar to the, to the darts as well. It's not because they're mathematical geniuses, but... Um, I remember Eric, I interviewed Eric Bristow some years ago, who was the, what was he, five times world darts champion. And he said that was actually what appealed to him first about the game. He just loved the numbers and doing the maths. And then obviously he became so good at it, um, like all the other players that, uh, you know, the maths was taken out of it. You, it, you just, it just becomes instinctive to you. I didn't know you'd interviewed Eric Bristow. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Final email is from Dave Tyndall. Now, um, a few weeks ago, we were doing the Maximum episode. Uh, episode 147, and I think you mentioned that... Um, oh, yeah, the video. The yeah. video, okay. So yeah. this is Dave's email, okay? 
Uh, inspired by a 147 episode a couple of weeks ago, I went online to try and buy a copy of Steve Davis's historic Larder Classic Maximum, the first to be made on TV. There was one VHS copy available on eBay for 12 quid, which, after some haggling, I got down to 10 quid. Yep, apprentice candidates have nothing on me. Steve Davis 147 break arrived in the post a few days later, and then I did that thing where you realise you've got no idea where your video recorder is or even whether you still have one. I did wonder that, actually, because I thought, like, I I have no idea. I I think I do have one somewhere, but I probably won't be able to wire it up now. You know, it's been so long since I've used one. Uh, Anyway, he said, uh, I did eventually find it stuffed in the back of a cupboard, and after finding the right cable and ejecting Debbie Does Dallas, I sat back to watch Steve (laughs) do his stuff. We'll gloss over that, Dave. We'll gloss over that. Can can we call this video Steve Does Oldham? Well, that could be a whole other yeah. uh, video, yeah. actually. Um, Davis's maximum is pretty swift at 11 minutes, but mm-hmm. the video the video promises 58 minutes of action, 58 minutes for 10 quid, uh, as he recalls his 147 to women's rights champion Elton Wellsby, bracket satire. However, <laughs> however... This is thing, brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I know what he means. He's, he's not the biggest fan of... Anyway, uh, however, rather than the in-depth analysis I was hoping for, Steve just mutters his way through the odd difficult shot, and that's it. We're still only about 20 minutes in by this stage, so I'm wondering what else there is. As you and Michael will know, Steve made the final against Terry Griffiths in that 1982 Lada Classic, and it went to the last frame. So they show the entire decider. It's predictably scrappy, but two things stand out. First, this concluding frame goes to the final black, and lo and behold, the co-commentator is Dennis Taylor. It makes me think that even if it's only a subconscious few percent, could watching Steve lose a tournament on the final black have contributed to Dennis beating him three years later in 1985? And second, Steve is incredibly jokey when interviewed straight afterwards. It's yes, stark, I remember this, yeah. Uh, it's a stark contrast to the deadpan shock of his 1985 interview with David Vine. Obviously, the stakes weren't as high, but Steve gives the impression that thanks to the maximum, he was more than happy with his lot at the larder, which given what a hunger he had to win trophies, shows just how important a 147 was back then. So that's Dave there uh, on our behalf going through the... Uh, the Lada Classic Maximum video. There's a very good book, I think I mentioned it before, about that season, The Cruel Game, by uh, Gene, Gene Rafferty. Rafferty yeah. And of course, uh, Davis and Griffiths, they met in five finals that season, and everyone thought, well, not everyone, but there was a sort of perception was they were playing the world final. They both both lost in the first round. Of course, Alex Higgins won That's it. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know if... Uh, I, I think the, the, the sort of... What what we've always talked about in terms of the contributory factor to the 85 defeat is losing to Alex Higgins from 7-0 up in the UK final, 83. But, you know, I suppose sort of small scars form, even for someone like Steve, who was winning everything. Um, but from the sound of it, though, in the interview, he, he seemed, seemed all right with it. Yeah, no, I do remember that and thinking, this is really, really strange. Because I watched that video in 1989 when Steve had just dismantled the field to win the World Championship ruthlessly again. And to see him reacting like that to losing on the last black in a final, was it was very strange. I remember being being struck by that. Three things to say off the back of it, none of which really have anything to do with any of it. Right. One is <laughs> how, how, how unlike this podcast. Yeah. Well, there, there, there are tenuous connections. Uh, the first thing is you're talking there about, you know, you think you might still have a video player somewhere. Yeah. The first time I ever watched a DVD was in your house. I'm not sure I actually really knew what it was. Now, I have to say to the listeners, it was actually very hard to see the screen because at the time, Dave had the biggest living room in the world. <laughs> I think they're actually planning to have a Home Nations event there next season. You know, oh, it, uh, yeah. But um, the other thing is, just on the Eric Bristow interview, I'm, I'm going I'm to claim two niches in history. Right? I know I'm the only person ever to have commentated on a Belgian making a maximum in professional competition. So I'm claiming that place in history. 
I'm also going to claim I'm I'm fairly sure I'm the only person who's ever done a live radio interview with Eric Bristow, which was patched through to the studio by the lead singer of the Undertones. <laughs> so we'll probably get ten emails next week from people who've done the same thing. But the one well, other on, hang on, whoa, whoa, well, let's just let's just let's get a rewind. Literally, as we're talking videos. So for, Fergal Sharkey? No, not Fergal Sharkey. Fergal Sharkey left the Undertones about twenty years ago and was replaced by a guy called Paul McClune who's actually um, a good pal of Terry Murphy the old uh, dairy professional and uh, Paul McClune well he's a radio presenter now at the time he was a radio producer so on the day and he was he was he was a real 80s fan so he got very excited about the idea of saying hello to Eric Bristow and then well, yeah, he yeah. through Let's but, hope that let's hope. Go on ben, then. Let's let's have it. Let's have well, the no, song. Go on. No, I'm just thinking. Uh, you know, we want conditions to be good at the qualifier. So let's hope Ben Mertens doesn't have any teenage kicks. Teenage Thank kicks, you very much. Yeah. Thank very you. good. Very good. Yeah. Keep, keep your eyes peeled for a few of those. Okay, that's getting very tenuous now. <laughs> but the other thing, of course, it it dawned on me um, that we started about a month ago now a weekly feature called In This Week. Oh yes. Uh, yeah, we only did one. So I thought of one. So this week, 26 years ago. Go on. What do you think it was? Hang on. So what, what year is that? We're talking 1995. Mm. Um, it must be, is it uh, John Higgins winning the British Open? Yeah. And I'm fairly sure this is still the only all-teenage ranking mm. final. Now, a few things about that event. I mean, Kate, was obviously that was one thing. Um, but also, it was, I kind of think of that tournament almost as the end of an era. Because Dennis Taylor actually put, pushed Ronnie O'Sullivan very close in the last 32. I'm fairly sure Alex Higgins played on TV. It may have been his last ever televised appearance. And I was just, before I came through, I was looking through the draw at some of the players. Like Dino Kane got to the last 16. There was a last 32 match between Jonathan Birch and Elaine Robidoux. Chris Small played Mick Price. Steve Davis and Tony Knowles had a, had a, um, a final frame decider. And Mike Hallett actually did well in it. So uh, a lot of those players were coming to the end of their time. I think there were maybe 11 world champions, either of the past, present or future in the TV stage. And the one other thing I remember about that, it had the most fantastic set. I mean, it was sponsored by Castella Classic, which was a cigar brand. And the set basically looked like a cigar box, which might not sound great. But when you actually see it in practice, I thought it looked absolutely fantastic. And it was the absolute peak of that era when Sky... We're doing ranking tournaments on a very regular basis. And I mean, you, you think you have long days at the home nations now. Ask Phil about it. They used to come on at 10 in the morning and stay on all the way through till play finished, which was which was quite late in the evening. So, yeah, that was that was a, a really good tournament, actually, and finished with a final between Higgins and O'Sullivan. The first time they ever met in a ranking final. And here they still are having uh, having big matches on TV all these years later. So that was in this week, 26 years ago. Well, my takeaway from all of that is that Dave Tyndall will now be on eBay looking for the yeah. video of Jonathan Birch against Elaine Robidoux. So that'll yeah, be. Uh, yeah. and I'm, probably I'm, already I'm, got it. Well, well, here's the thing, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to call Dave Tyndall out on this podcast, okay? Yeah. Uh, in the summer, after all the world challenges is over, we're going to have Dave on. We're going to have Dave on the podcast. Oh he's, yeah. He's been a great servant to yeah. it, and and I get the feeling we've only just scratched the surface. <laughs> so well, hang on now, have yeah. you actually asked him yet? No. I'm asking oh, well, him. No, yeah, but this is the thing. Yeah. Well, um, uh, listen, absolutely. I mean, there's no way in the world he's going to say no. But it was like it would be like that episode of Frasier that I think was only repeated the other day where um, he, he finds this obsessive fan who's given up his, his job to stay at home and make sure he never misses Frasier's radio show. And then Frasier and his brother end up going to his house. I mean, that's basically going to be the equivalent of that. 
Well, all I'll say is I, 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 he may have had offers from Nick Metcalf and Phil Hague. We don't know. We don't yeah. know. But all I'll say is, you know, remember who your friends are. We, we were here first. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and and uh, yeah, uh, no money will change hands, but we can we can offer you well, essentially nothing. But um, yeah. anyway, we'll, that, we'll, yeah. we'll send him a complimentary ladder classic DVD. Or something. <laughs> it's better to be one of those from some other year knocking around. Well, of course they used to have, and we will wrap up in a moment. But we, they used to have um, uh, those old matchroom videos. I, I've got a yeah. couple of them. I've got, I think oh, I've they're got brilliant. The, I've got the Terry. They're all on YouTube now. You can you can watch them. But uh, mm. I've got the Terry Griffiths one and the Dennis Taylor one, and they were genuinely interesting because you genuinely saw their home lives. Um, you know, and also weird footage from sort of matchroom events you'd never seen before. Um, the Cafe Pacific Challenge and events like that. Yeah, and it occurs to me, and I don't want to criticise Baywatch, but I'll rephrase that. I want to criticise Baywatch. It occurs to me that's the sort of thing they should be doing. Go around and show, I mean, all right, not every player might want to take part, but go around and spend a day with Mark Selby. How does he live? What does he do? Who are his friends? You know, what are his kind of pursuits other than snooker? I think people would appreciate that. It's easy There's for me to yeah. Sorry, go on. It's for me to say I don't have to be involved in it, but I, I think. Well, well, I, yeah, go on. go on. We keep interrupting each other here. Well, I'm, I might as well finish my interruption. The they did they did one video for each of the um, seven players who were in the matchroom stable at that time. Mm. There, there was a bizarre thing actually. I remember one of the Pot Black, the old snooker magazine that you and I both wrote for over the years. You, they had um, they they gave those videos away as prizes, and how to enter it was you had to write a poem. I think it was <laughs> about. The player who you wanted to, um, you know, to, to get the video off. Wow. I, I actually, I, I, well, sorry, okay, we're, we're getting really niche now. I can actually remember a couple of the lines about the winning poem about Tony <laughs> Mio. Which, was, it, was it rhyme with Brio? <laughs> no, the last two lines, he just dropped out of the top 16. So the last two lines were, he's down in the rankings because he's down on his luck. But I'll always support him. He'll fight back with pluck. Well, I wonder where that was going for a moment. Yeah, well, indeed. <laughs> but they did they did each of those. Like, they did a video for every member of the matching team, but then they did one where it was all of them, and they all went out to a nightclub together. And somehow, Neil ends up with a snake around his neck. And and that links us back to the Championship League, because... And, and this is <laughs> Of little, course, yes, yeah. of course, yeah. Is, I mean, this won't mean anything to other than about the 10 people that were there, but in the early years of the Championship League... We will wrap up in a moment because uh, yeah. there's, there's an advert coming up <laughs> in a minute. But um, uh, the earliest Championship League, the hotel we stayed in, the, the night porter used to get us the drinks. Yeah. Uh, we got talking to him and the crew got talking to him and it turned out he kept reptiles. And someone said to him, oh, bring one in, show us. Uh, ne- next day, he comes in with a boa constrictor. Yeah. It's around yeah. Neil's neck. Yeah. Well, there you go. So Neil was very experienced with it, wasn't he? Yeah. It, it reminds me, actually, we're talking about player features and we will finish in a moment. But... Um, Neil did one, I think, for Will Snook. He went around Karen Wilson's house. Oh yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying it was a setup, but it's one of these. He's, he's gone to the door of the house. He's gone. Uh, you know, we're here in where Northampton uh, to speak to Karen Wilson. Let's see if he's in. And he knocked on the door, and Karen answered the door within about a second. I mean, who's ever done that when someone's knocked on the door? Um, anyway, uh, Karen probably thought Neil had come to do the Daz Challenge or something. <laughs> well, the thing is, of course, it, you know, if you were going to be a player doing that, I mean, the obvious, the funny thing to do is just not answer the door and you know, leave him well, waiting there for about 10 minutes. I think they did. Um, Neil certainly suggested a bit of bounce, but um, I don't think it happened. Anyway, we ended up just talking nonsense. But anyway, the main thing is the World Championship, is upon, that one. The world, world Championship is upon us. Um, we've had our thoughts on the qualifiers. You will have yours. I think the idea is next week we're going to come back on the day of the draw. So this podcast is early. Next week's will be later because the draw is on the Thursday for the Crucible. 
where we will be making our wild predictions, not only about who's going to come through the first round, but who's going to win the whole thing. And remember, Yambing Tao will play Ian Burns on that Saturday. Um, you can email us, snookerscenepodcast.mail.com, snookerscenepodcast.mail.com. I've got a lot of emails that are on file, as I say, in the summer when everything has stopped. We'll be able to go through them. So if yours hasn't been read out, it's, that's no snub. It's just they're all there, uh, ready to be uh, set upon, I suppose, if that's the word I'm looking for. Um, yeah, the, to, to be gone through later in the, later in the year, I think. Um, so, yeah, so unless you've got anything else. No, I think we've literally covered every subject in the world. And nobody's listening at this stage anymore anyway. We've gone on so long. It, it got a little ragged at the end, but anyway. Yeah, no, that's what we're here for. <laughs> it's only a podcast. Um, I didn't say this last week because I didn't want to upset Phil, but um, that whole goodbye-bye thing. But uh, that is how we sign off. So for now, thanks for listening. Uh, enjoy the qualifiers. Henry White on Monday, one for the nostalgics there. And until next week, it's goodbye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.